Uh, John chapter 19, beginning at verse 38. It says, After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but a secret one for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate granted permission, so he came and took away his body. Nicodemus, who had first come to him by night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it, bound it in linen wrappings with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. Therefore, because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was near, they laid Jesus there. Heavenly Father, as we come to your word this morning, Lord, we just continue to see your incredible sovereign control over, over this entire situation. We see the sovereign control of Jesus as he hung on the cross, his, his control of his own, not only his life, but his control over his own death. Nor does we see him taken down off the cross. Lord, let that be a reminder to us that it is finished. Uh, you, you were able to come off the cross because you had finished what you were put there for. And because it is finished, we can have salvation in your name. We can know that sin's debt has been paid. What a glorious, wonderful truth that is. Amen. So over the last several weeks, we've been studying the death of the God-man. Studying the death of the King of Kings, the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, the, the death of the one who planned his own death as the substitutional, atoning, sacrificial death in the place of all who would believe in him. <clears throat> the, along with it, the death of the power of sin and the death of the sting of death for those who know Him as Savior. Uh, this was a death like no death before it and like no death, death since. The Lord Jesus was in complete control. He was in complete control of His life and He was in complete control of His death. He, he was sent to the Jewish people. He is the Savior of the world, but He was sent to the Jewish people. And I, I think we sometimes forget that. Matthew 23, Jesus said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were unwilling. Behold, your house is being left to you desolate, for I say to you, from now on you will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, Jesus said this 
after absolutely excoriating the Pharisees for abusing their place of authority instead of teaching the people about God and teaching them <clears throat> how to be more godly. He prepared his, his disciples to go out and spread the gospel. He gave them the great commission. He blinded the sinful Pharisee Saul, convicted him of his sin, replaced his heart of stone with a heart of flesh, and sent him out as Paul, the disciple to the Gentiles. But Jesus came to the Jewish people. They were, they were supposed to take the gospel to the world, but overall the nation rejected him. They, they not only rejected him, but they sentenced him to death. And I need to clarify something. Throughout history, you know, Jewish people have been hated and they've been maligned for killing Jesus. The Jewish people did not kill Jesus. They arrested him. They petitioned Pilate to put him to death, but they didn't kill him. Don't, don't think that lowly of God. Don't think that God is so powerless that some sinful men could thwart him. God put Jesus to death. This was planned. It was planned down to the precise detail. It could not have happened any other way, yet these people did exactly what their evil hearts desired to do. And we see this happen throughout Scripture. Men doing evil things from the evil intent of their cold, dead, stony, evil hearts, but God using it for good. And there's this paradox we see in Scripture, the evil intent of men's hearts directly in line with the sovereign plan of God. The life of Joseph, you know, Old Testament, life of Joseph is one of the greatest examples of this we see in, in the Old Testament. You know, what happened to Joseph? We all know the story, right? <clears throat> he was his dad's favorite. Uh, he didn't have the wisdom to shut up, right? You know, he liked to brag about him being his dad's favorite. Brothers got jealous of him. His dad gave him this snazzy new jacket. It showed his father's love for him. Uh, Joseph started having these dreams, and he shared the dreams with his brothers. Now, what was the essence of the dream? Well, Basically, it was that one day Joseph's brothers and his father and mother were going to bow to him. Well, how'd that turn out for him? Yeah, not, not too well, right? They, his brothers threw him in a well, they sold him into slavery, then they went back and told their dad, yeah, a wild animal ate him. And of course, we all know the story. Joseph was taken into slavery. He was accused of sexual impropriety, thrown into prison, where he was mistreated and forgotten, eventually interprets some dreams, gets forgotten again, till Pharaoh has a dream that Joseph interprets. And because of this, Joseph becomes number two in Egypt, saves his family from horrible famine, uh, this famine that decimated the land, and, and Joseph has a very high standing in Egypt. All that happened because Joseph's brothers were jealous and threw him in a well. They wanted to kill him, but they didn't. And, and what does Joseph say to his brothers? You know, his father dies, and, 
and brothers are terrified. Oh no, you know, dad's not here anymore to keep Joseph from killing us. You know, what, what are we going to do? Uh, Genesis 50, 20. Joseph says, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result. That verse could be right here in John chapter 19. It would fit perfectly. The Jewish leaders meant this for evil. They, they wanted to put Jesus to death. They had an evil desire. Their evil desire was to be rid of Jesus. They wanted him dead. In Genesis 50, Joseph, you know, he, he goes on, he says, But God, you meant this for evil, but God. Now, I've said before, are there two more wonderful words than put, when put together than but God that, that we find in Scripture? In Ephesians, we read about our sinful desires. We read about our spiritual deadness, that before salvation we were children of wrath. And Paul says, but God. Isn't that it's wonderful? He, he says, you were a hopeless, helpless sinner, but God being rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together in Christ. That is incredible. That, you know, that should be written in our hearts and written on our minds and probably written on the walls. Uh, that verse, if you think about it. You know, Joseph tells his brothers, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And then Joseph says this, in order to bring about this present result. The Jews meant this for evil. They, they, they meant what they did to Jesus for evil. They were bound and determined. They were going to put him to death. And they were going to end this nonsense. And from the human standpoint, it looks like that's exactly what they did. But... Beyond our view, God was in control of the entire situation. They meant it for evil, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result, in order to bring about the payment of sin, in order to bring about salvation, in order to make it certain. And throughout the account of the crucifixion, we see the sovereign power and control of Jesus. He was arrested in the garden. He was tried and proclaimed worthy of death. His death lined up perfectly with the day that the spotless lambs were sacrificed. He was nailed to a cross according to Scripture. He showed control over his life and his own death by dying at the precise time he needed to to fulfill Scripture. He said, I thirst, and John told us they gave him vinegar to drink, and by drinking the, the vinegar, he fulfilled Scripture. Shortly after that, the soldiers come to break the legs of the crucified so they would die sooner. Well, Jesus had already died. He died after taking the vinegar, but before having his legs broken, fulfilling Psalm 34. You know, of course, Psalm 34 says that none of his legs were broken. It was almost unheard of for a person to die that quickly during a crucifixion, and Pilate himself was shocked to hear it. So the soldier thrust the spear into his side 
to, to ensure he was dead and it shed his blood, which was required of a blood sacrifice. As, as we learned last week, they broke the legs because they didn't want these men hanging on the crosses on the Sabbath day. So they wanted to ensure they would be dead before sunset on this Friday afternoon. And you may remember it was a violation of God's law to leave a corpse hang overnight. And it was a violation of the Sabbath to take a corpse down on the Sabbath. So, you know, they had from whatever time it was until sunset to to have these men die and get them off the cross. So to avoid any issue with Sabbath quickly approaching, they had the legs of the other two men broken, bringing death quicker. But again, Jesus had already died. He had already given up his spirit, so his legs were not broken. Now, the crucifixions themselves took place on, you know, we may know it as Golgotha or Mount Calvary. And as you probably know, those two words, when, when translated into English, mean the place of the skull or the mount of skulls. Now, I've, I've never been to Israel. Brenda and I have talked about planning a trip to Israel at some point. We would love to go there. Um, but I've read that there is no hill in Israel that looks like a skull, or no hill in Jerusalem that looks like a skull. Instead, the hill was probably named this because of all the crucifixions that took place there. The, the hill was quite likely littered with the skulls and the bones of the people who had been crucified there. You know, a, a person put to death this way was generally not given a proper burial afterwards. They were usually set aside or they were left on the cross and nature and, and wildlife would would take care of cleaning up the remains. You know, gruesome. But again, this was done to deter crime. So you can imagine after, after the, the, the perishable parts of the body are gone, the bones remain. So, you know, this was known as the place of skulls. But apparently it wasn't real uncommon for the family to ask for the body so they could give the corpse a proper burial. So Joseph of Arimathea, he goes and he asks Pilate for the body. Who is Joseph of Arimathea? All we really know about him is that he was a disciple of Jesus and he was a rich man. We get all of that information from the gospel accounts of him asking for Jesus' body. There really is nothing in Scripture about him, but what an important man he was. Again, every part of this, this crucifixion was planned. Much of what happened was prophesied in the Old Testament, and uh, even parts of it by Jesus himself. Isaiah 53.9 His grave was assigned with wicked men. Yet he was with a rich man in his death because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. You know, Jesus died beside criminals. In his death, he was with wicked men. But after his death, this man Joseph, this rich man came and asked for the body. He came to give Jesus a proper burial. He came and fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah 53.9. 
Now, did he know he was doing that? You know, did he did he see the crucifixion and think, oh, Isaiah 53, 9. You know, hey, I'm a rich man. Maybe I should go ask for his body. You know, I, I don't think he did that. I think he saw the body of Jesus and thought, you know, I am one of his disciples and I don't want him hanging there. You know, what, whatever fear Joseph had that caused him to be a secret disciple to this point, that, that fear apparently was gone. I think Joseph thought, you know, I have a tomb right here near Mount Calvary so we can put his body in there. It's going to be convenient. We don't need to take him far. Sabbath is coming, so this will work out good. After the Sabbath, I can come back and prepare him properly for burial. But at the same time, he's fulfilling Scripture. He didn't know it. But, but God was using him to fulfill Isaiah 53. He had been a secret disciple. Mark tells us in his gospel that Joseph was a prominent member of the Sanhedrin. This same man who had not been a disciple of Jesus, if you stood back and looked who he was. The Sanhedrin was again Jesus, here a prominent member who was a secret disciple. We also read in this gospel that he gathered up courage. I love that. Gathered up courage. I think there are a lot of people in a lot of churches who need to gather up courage. I also think there are a lot of people in a lot of churches being used by God and don't realize it, just like Joseph was. It could be that I put you in the life of someone else because they need you already know about them seeing this God. I, I have a situation in this church where new people and younger people are ministering each other and it's wonderful. You know, that is what we're called to do by God himself. You, you know, it may be a big church, only hundreds of them, but I feel like we have a spiritual growth current here. I like that for being a major day. Growing spiritually. That, that's the important thing. But back to our text. Joseph asks, and he's given the body of Jesus. And we see a familiar name show up to help. Nicodemus is there also. Now, we know Nicodemus from John 3. He went to the Lord under the cover of darkness to ask some questions. He knew at that time that Jesus had been sent by God, but he didn't fully understand what that meant. He, he didn't understand that Jesus would one day die as the sacrificial atoning payment for sin. That Jesus' death would be accepted by God as the final and full payment in substitute for all who would believe in Him. Nicodemus thought that his works, his good deeds, would cover his sin, but Jesus said, nope. Uh, you need to be born again, Nicodemus. He went to, to uh, Jesus under the cover of darkness because he didn't want his fellow Sanhedrin members to know that he thought this Jesus guy might actually be what he says he is. But now something has happened and Nicodemus is right there helping Joseph with the body. He brought the spices to prepare the body for burial. You know, he's out there. You know, they're out there where they can be seen by anyone. You know, I'm guessing they weren't invited to the next Sanhedrin meeting. You know, uh, No longer are they going to hide their feelings about Jesus. No longer are they going to be secret disciples. Everyone now knows that they believe in Jesus with this public, you know, with, with the, the disciples of Jesus, uh, his public disciples scattered. 
these secret disciples became more bold. Whether they witnessed the crucifixion or they heard about it, something caused them to trust in Jesus, and now their trust is no longer going to be secret again. And in taking the body, they fulfilled another scripture, right? Isaiah 53, 9. Once again, uh, they have shown why we should believe that Jesus is the Christ and believing have eternal life in his name. Now, I just I want to finish this morning by pointing out something very important in this text. Jesus was taken off the cross. When he died on the cross, he said, It is finished. The debt for sin was paid. There was nothing else needed so that your sin debt could be paid. He is not on the cross any longer. The sacrifice is finished. We are, we're going to be celebrating the Lord's Supper in a few minutes. And when we do, we come to the Lord's table. We don't come to an altar. This, this is a table. It's a, uh, it's a table to enjoy fellowship with our Savior. It's, it's only bread and juice, but this bread and juice symbolize the body of Christ broken and His blood shed for the forgiveness of our sin. You know, it doesn't become His body. We're not eating His literal flesh. We're not drinking His literal blood. We are commemorating His death until He returns. But the only reason we can do this is because He's no longer on that cross. If sin's debt had not been paid, He would still be on the cross. He would still be suffering and being sacrificed for us. But since He is God... His death on the cross, though it was only for a moment in time, was sufficient enough to pay the debt required by God the Father who remained in eternity. He was able to come down off that cross, not only because Joseph asked for his body, but because sin's debt was paid. And because he came down off that cross, we are able to know we have salvation in His name. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, how wonderful Your Word is. And how wonderful it is uh, just to see the, the intricacies of Your sovereign plan of salvation. Just to see how You worked out every minor detail so that the death of Jesus fulfilled every prophecy written about it. Lord, there is so much in Your Word that, that points to You. There is so much in Your Word that, that points to our need for a Savior. There is so much in, in Your Word that points to You, to the Lord Jesus Christ as the one and only Savior. 
So I pray that this morning, I pray that the Holy Spirit is convicting us where he needs to as we prepare to commemorate the Lord's Supper, as we prepare to have this time of fellowship with you. Lord, I pray that there would be nothing in between us and you that would break that fellowship. Lord, I pray that if there is anything that we know of, any any sin that we have not handed over to you, Lord, we don't we don't need to go to someone to confess it. We can confess it directly to you. If there's there's any sin that we have not handed over to you, confessed to you, Lord, I pray even as we sit here this morning that we would quietly in our own in our own heart do that right now. That it would be our desire to have that pure fellowship with you. Lord, I just pray that right now we would just take a moment and and search our own hearts to, to discover if we do have any sin that we need to confess to you. And, and that we would we would go ahead and do that quietly in our own in our own heart right now. Lord, as we come together to to celebrate your table, to celebrate the Last Supper, to to have this visual presentation of the gospel. Lord, I pray that we do so now in, uh, in, in with a clear conscience, with a conscience that is not condemning us. We know that our conscience was given to us by you. Lord, we just thank you for that. Lord, we praise you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. To celebrate your table, to celebrate the Last Supper, to, to have this visual presentation of the gospel. Lord, I pray that we do so now in, uh, in, in with a... Uh, clear conscience with a conscience that is not condemning us. We know that our conscience was given to us by you. Lord, we just thank you for that. Lord, we praise you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.